This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so I see, I see a lot of us didn't get it today, um, that this is actually a dress up. And so I want to hand the prize. To the best dressed up super Christmas man ever. Can I hear his name? Trevor. Come Trevor. This is next level brother. This is taking it next level. He has a nose ring that flickers. Earrings that flicker. Shoes that also flicker. Yes, my bro, it's amazing. There's your prize. You, you just just hold it for everybody to see. Yes. Feels him. <laughs> give him a hand. Give him a hand. Well done. Well done. That's commitment. Okay, so Christmas. What is Christmas about? It is Christ to the masses. Christmas, Christ to the masses. The story, the Christmas story is an epic story to bring Christ to the masses. And it's actual history, not just a fairy tale. But it's more than just um, a story that happened or something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's also an invitation for each one of us to become part of the story. You know, history is his story. And God is still writing his story. He's still writing it. He's still, it's still being played out. It's not just finished. And he's inviting each one of us into the, into this epic story, which Christmas is a key part of. So you can decide which character you want to be, which is wonderful. But they are different characters in the story. I want to unpack that this morning. I want to look at different aspects of the Christmas story. I want to look at different characters and what they represented and how it can invite you and me to become part of this awesome, awesome, wonderful story. So you, you have the wise who seek out the truth. You have the proud that becomes the villain. And then you have the humble that receive the ultimate gift. And so I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Christmas is also about a, a loving father that gave, gave us gifts. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to share with you how much you and I can be thankful for in terms of the gift of life. So who will you be? The wise, the proud, or the humble? So let's look at the first characters in the, in the, in the Christmas story. The wise who followed the star. Matthew 2, 2 verse 1. It says... Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men. Come on, say wise men. Wise men. They came. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So here we find our first characters in the Christmas story, the wise. 
The wise, they were stargazers. They were looking to the stars. They were, were looking for the signs. And when they saw the star, they followed it wherever it led them. So they probably traveled at least hundreds of kilometers, if not thousands of kilometers, following the sign, following the star to Christ. They were seekers. They were looking. They were studying. And when they saw it, they went wherever the evidence took them. So are you and I, are we going to be the wise? Are we going to be the wise? Are we going to look for the evidence that points us, leads us to Christ? So over the last 50 years or so, there has been a lot of discoveries in terms of science pointing. The guys have been looking up to the stars. They've been studying the solar system and the, and the galaxies. They've been looking at what they see. And they found an astounding amount of evidence pointing to the reality of God. To a designer behind it all. And so we see um, a guy called Eric Metaxas. He wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal. And it was titled... Science increasingly makes the case for God. He posted on Christmas Eve 2014. And within moments of being published online, the article went viral. Hundreds of shares, hundreds of comments. And the next day it continued and they, it, it just exploded in terms of exposure. The most, it soon became 100,000 shares on Facebook. Uh, he said the most shares ever on the Wall Street Journal was like 300,000, and it went beyond 300,000. A few months later, it was over 600,000 shares of this article that was giving evidence for showing that science increasingly makes the case for God. Imagine that. 600,000 plus people shared this because it reveals that there's a hunger. People want to know, is this God thing real or is it just a fairy tale? Is it real? And so he wrote a book um, called Is Atheism Dead? And I've been reading it the last few weeks, and it's just been incredible. The, The scientific evidence that he puts out that has been discovered over the last three to four decades. You see, in 1966, the Time magazine posted a front cover um, asking this question, Is God dead? 1966. And it was like at the height of our society of this narrative that science has disproven the existence of God. And this was like the high, the peak. And then since then, there has been incredible discoveries that have been made that is pointing us to the reality of God. That is flipping the tables. And it's all connected to this question. Is the universe fine-tuned? If we look at the, 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 our environment, if we look at the things that have been, that, that exist, scientists have discovered that there is mind-boggling numbers connected to these things that blows the mind. So in the same year, 1966, Carl Sagan, a, a well-known astronomer, he said that for life to exist, on any planet in the universe, you just need two criteria. A sun, sort of like ours, and a planet, sort of the right distance away from the sun. That was 1960s. Since then, they've discovered that that is a, a very, very uh, 
uh, uninformed way of looking at life. So they thought it was just those two conditions that need to be met, but it was a primitive understanding of how easily life could emerge from non-life in the world. So he, Carl Sagan said, because life should be able to, to produce so easily, just get a sun and a planet the right distance, you should have immeasurable numbers of life all across the universe. And I want to read this from the book to give you an idea of what they found in the last 40, 50 years. So, so Eric Metaxas says, however, su- subsequent scientific discoveries made it increasingly untrue. It says the more science learned about the conditions necessary for life, the more it found new criteria that were just as vital as the two Sagan had mentioned. Eventually, there were dozens. And the more science learned, the more there were. So, of course, the probability of life in the universe plummeted drastically from billions of planets probably having life down to millions and then to thousands. Every time another condition was discovered that was necessary for life, it mathematically reduced the number of planets down until the conditions mounted so high that the number of planets that might support life was winnowed to almost nothing. Eventually, the conditions science recognizes for life had risen so high that the idea that life existed anywhere at all, as it obviously did on our planet, seemed more and more miraculous. And then even outlandish. It didn't make sense that we existed. And yet here we are. It seemed that the only rational answer for our existence was that everything in the universe had been intentionally designed so that life here could exist. I'm going to give you a little bit, just quickly, just in terms of us needed to seek. I want to give you just a a little bit of what they share in the book and many others. You can go read it for yourself. It's called, Is Atheism Dead? And so all, all the science is revealing is that it reveals that we have been given a gift, a gift of life. That you and I are here, that we are alive, that we are self-aware, that you and I can think about thinking. It's massive. We're not like the animals. But how did this happen? And, And the science is pointing to so many factors that make it absolutely miraculous that we are here today, this beautiful, wonderful world that we can, can, can enjoy. And I'm trusting it's going to stir some thanksgiving in our hearts for the gift of life. So here's a few examples of the fine-tuning. Number one, the size of the earth. Did you know that if the size of the earth wasn't what it is today, there wouldn't be life? For instance, if the earth was any smaller, our magnetic field would be weaker And what we call the solar wind, the radiation from the sun, would quickly strip our atmosphere to almost nothing. So that we would end up like Mars, which is, of course, a lifeless planet. And then if Earth were any larger, we would have other life-killing problems. A larger Earth would have more powerful gravity. No water or methane or carbon dioxide would escape our atmosphere, which would be so thick that we couldn't breathe. A bigger planet, you and I wouldn't be able to breathe. A smaller planet, we'd be like Mars. They have discovered that our earth is just probably the maximum size that a life-carrying planet can have. But we don't think about this, do we? Who would ever think that the size of a planet would be so precisely and perfectly calculated for life? Number two, the distance from the sun, as Carl Sagan said. If we were slightly closer to the sun, most of our water would evaporate, no life. Slightly further, ice Everything would be frozen. Life would be untenable. Number three, who, who would have known that if it wasn't for the two gas planets, Jupiter 
and Saturn close by, we probably also wouldn't have life on Earth because what they did, they've got these massive gravitational fields and they pull the meteorites and the asteroids away from our planet. So it seems like these titanic planets were intentionally put there because they say just a hundred meter sized meteorite striking the Earth would be equal to a nuclear bomb going off and destroying because it happened in 1908. 200,000 square kilometers of forest were destroyed because one meteorite, 100 meters across, hit the planet in Russia. Could it be designed? Number four, the moon. Did you know that if we didn't have the moon, there probably wouldn't be life? The moon is about a third of the size of our planet. If it was smaller, there wouldn't be life. If it was bigger, there wouldn't be life. If it was no moon, there wouldn't be life. I can't go into the details. You can go read it for yourself. And then the last one I want to highlight is... This is a quick science. Huh? We're gonna, gonna get your brain going. The four fundamental forces of nature: gravity, electromagnetism, strong force, weak force. Not going into details, but what they've discovered is that if the ratio, they all have values, and if the ratios between these four forces were not the right balance, there would be no life. I want to give you one example, and then I'm gonna. Then your brain can switch off again. (laughs) The ratio between the gravitational force and the electromagnetic force is critical to have large and small stars in a universe that makes life possible. So they found that the ratio between them must be exact down to one part in 10 to the 40th power. That's one followed by 40 zeros. It's a painfully large number. So I want to illustrate it to you. Here's the continent of Africa. So to illustrate to you how perfectly this has been, precisely have been designed. One in ten to the power of forty. Okay, I'll give you a five rand coin. We cover South Africa in five rand coins, just one, one, one layer deep. Then we continue all over Africa. We just skip the top three countries in Africa. Okay, so you've got it. One layer of five rand. Then we start layering them. We go all the way to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Jaro, the highest mountain in Africa and Kenya, all the way, 6,000 meters of fire and coins. Now, that's a lot, huh? Okay, now you multiply that by 12. Six kilometers times 12, 72,000 meters. You go all the way up. Then you multiply it by another 5,000. Then you go all the way up to just hitting the moon. Yes, I know it's terrible. It is horrific. I'm also crying. (laughs) So you go all the way up to the moon. Okay? You got it? Now you do it on another billion billion continents like Africa. Another billion. If you missed one, go back. Just go cover that one. And then you come back again. A billion planets. Ten to the power. A billion African continents. Up to the moon. Layered with five rains. That's 10 to the power of 40. You can maximum remove one five rand coin in the ratio between the gravity and electromagnetic force. There will still be life. If you add two, no life. If you remove two, no life. That's just one. Of so many other things that scientists are discovering. It looks designed. 
Because it is designed. There's a, there's a super intellect behind the design of our universe, our planet, and the one that gave you and me life, a loving father. And so I, I wanted to share this because I often imagine the creation process and the indescribable intelligence behind it. And I'm like, God, wow, <laughs> that is just mind boggling. So he gave you and me the gift of life, a planet that is inhabitable, all this beauty so that we can exist. That is a beautiful gift, but that's not yet the ultimate gift. There's something even bigger, better than just being alive. He gave us free will to decide, are we going to follow the stars? Are we going to follow the signs like the wise men and come to the feet of Christ? Or will we be, no, I don't want to know it. I don't want to know. No, no, I don't want it. I want to do my own thing. Who are we going to be? So Matthew 2 verse 9, continuing the wise men. It says, when they heard the king, because they spoke to Herod, say, hey, where's the, where's the newborn king? They depart and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. The star. Come on, say the star. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They're like, we're seeing it. Oh, my goodness. We are seeing evidence that points us to the king. They were wise. They were rejoicing. They were seeking. And when they'd come into the house, verse 11, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, when I look at all how these things have been designed, I want to fall down on my knees and worship the one that caused us to be. And they said, and then they opened their treasures and they presented gifts to him, but he gave them the greatest, the ultimate gift, which I'm going to get to in a moment. So who are we going to be? Will we be the wise or will we be the fools? I was a fool in high school. I was a fool. I was just stuck in a bunch of things. I remember the one time we were at a party. I drank too much. I couldn't go home because I was too drunk. So my sister, older sister, was driving me around in town, waiting for me to get sort of sober. I was nauseous. I was drunk. I was a mess. I vomited on the street. And that was just one of them many times. I wasn't even looking for God. But I was a fool. And I thought it was cool. And it wasn't. It was a dead end. It was a dead end. There was no life there. There was no life there. There's so much more that God wants to give to us. So the first character is the wise. Now the second character is the villain. Now the proud. There's no, there's no good story without a villain. Eh? Do you have a, like a Thanos? You almost feel sorry for the guy, but he wants to kill everybody, so you shouldn't. You know, <laughs> the villain. The proud. Becomes the villain. And so we see the villain. Matthew 2 verse 16. It says Herod. This is the king. He was furious. Because the, the wise men were supposed to come back to him. Tell him where the boy is so he can kill the boy. So he could kill Jesus. The Messiah. But Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. They had a dream that warned them. Don't go back to the king. Go another route. Then he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem. They were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. We don't think about this part of the story, do we? When we think about Christmas. You see, pride kills. Pride hurts those around us. 
Pride makes us blind to the reality of God. Pride disconnects us. Pride exalts self. Pride causes us to not see how small we are, how insignificant we are, and how much we need God. And so we forget this. And so King Herod did terrible things because of his pride. He wants to to, to run the show. And now this is the truth. It's easy to judge somebody else and say, hey, those bad Bad people, do you know that every one of us have the capacity to be a villain in the story? Do you know then? Just add pride to the game, you become the villain. I, I remember with my dad. My dad was an amazing man. I, he was my hero. And a uh, very gifted man, CEO of an organization at the age of like 30. And uh, amazing guy. But he became the villain in our story, in our home. When I was in primary school, because he got involved in an affair, a destructive affair that brought pain to me, my sister, like massive, massive damage to us. But my my dad was really a good guy, but he became the villain because he allowed pride and things to lead him astray. I remember the one afternoon I was in primary school, grade four, grade five, and I, 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 the, the pastor came to visit the church, uh, the, our home, and my dad was spoke to the pastor and he confessed. And I just remember seeing my dad crying like a baby in the lounge. I can't remember what they, I don't know what is going on. I just see my dad crying. Pride kills. Pride hurts. And any one of us can become that. And my dad shared with me uh, over Christmas time was some of the worst times because the family divorced. And then, you know, I don't know how it goes. You go to the one family, the kids, and then you go to the other family, the kids. And these days, I think to the other family and then to the other Family, things are so broken these days. And my dad shared over Christmas time when he dropped us off with my mom's family, he would sit in the waterfront in Cape Town with his bottle of wine and just drink his sorrows away. It was the worst season of his life. Got better yet later. Married again and finally found his way back. But my dad became the villain for a season. I can become the villain. You can become the villain. Dad's... You can become the villain when you become proud and selfish and you just want to do it your way and temptation comes in and ultimately you walk out of your marriage. Wives, you can become the villain when you allow bitterness and unforgiveness to get a hold of your heart and you refuse to forgive your spouse and you keep on pushing him away and the marriage goes worse. Teenagers, you can become the villain. Teenagers make brilliant villains. All the parents of teenagers, yes, yes. I was a villain as a teenager. An angry, hateful, selfish, proud, trying to fit in young man. My mom, I've often shared this, but my mom told her friends that this boy is the child from hell. I was the villain. Because pride got into my heart. And young people, I have such a heart for young people because I just, I messed up my high school. I wasted my high school because of not coming to Jesus, not following Christ. And so I have such a heart for young people. Don't allow this because it's not pride. It's the spirit of the enemy. And when it infuses us, we become like him. Don't allow pride to take a hold of your heart. You say, I'm not going to listen to my parents. I know better. You do not. No better at the age of 16. 
But pride kills, pride hurts. Don't fall for it. Don't become the villain. And the worst is, you know what pride does? This is the worst of pride. It blames everyone else. It does, huh? It's his fault. It's my parents' fault. It's her fault. I'm acting like an idiot. Pride. Don't become the villain. Don't allow. So evaluate your heart. What is influencing you? Are you like the wise, seeing the sign and running to the king of kings? Or is there something influencing you saying, I don't want anything to do with God. Is that you? Is that something influencing you? Pride. Don't fall for it. And then the best part, the third character in the story, ending off with this. The humble. The humble becomes the hero. The humble becomes the hero. We see in the story, the Christmas story, we see the humble. You see, we, we've all received the gift of life. As I've said, we, if, if you're breathing right now, you have a soul. You are self-aware. You can think about big things. You can ponder the big questions of life. But there is something bigger than that gift of life. It's called the ultimate gift. It's to have God with you. It's to have God in you. Like Mary had. Just a little bit different. Because it would be awkward for us guys. Just be awkward. <laughs> but Mary was the humble. The ultimate gift that we can have in this life is not just to exist. Because existing can be hell. There's something better. Knowing him. He, he, him giving himself to us. Having relationship with this incredible creator of everything. That is the ultimate life. The ultimate gift. And then he comes and he lives within us through his Holy Spirit. And suddenly you have peace and you have meaning and you have joy. I am so thankful. This week, I'm so thankful. I mean, I come from a broken family. It was a mess. And now to have my wife and our son this week and of holiday, it was just a blast. We have so much fun. Yes, we do miss one another every now and again. So we're not perfect. I'm getting that look from my wife now. But it's okay to miss one another sometimes. It's okay. But the, the, the life that we have now, I know I can only give glory to Jesus. The other night we went to a restaurant. And so on the way to the restaurant, my wife said, we must play some lekker Afrikaans music, soki music. And the three of us were singing in the car and having a blast. And then we uh, went back, when we get back home, we were dancing and we were showing my son a few moves because he needs to be cool. He must just upgrade my old moves to modern moves. But I was thinking, wow. Life, joy, peace, meaning, purpose. It's just him, Jesus. I know I would be the villain if it wasn't for him. I know. And a lot of you have also been at times the villain. But the good news is the villain can also be redeemed. It's like Star Wars, right at the end, Darth Vader, he gets redeemed. I know young people don't understand that, so that, that will maybe help. 
You can be redeemed. There's always a second chance, even if you made mistakes. But James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Unmerited favor, grace. You don't deserve it, but he gives it. He gives more. God resists the proud, but he gives, he gives, and he gives, and he gives to the humble. He wants to pour out so many good things into your life. If you and I would just take up our place in the story, be the humble. Knowing that you're small, knowing that you're insignificant without him. Knowing that you can do nothing good without him. The humble then becomes the hero, which I love. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. We can see this with Mary, that she was humble because we see how the angel responded to her. He says, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. Highly favored one. Grace is unmerited favor. Highly favored one. Because I see your heart and I see a humble heart. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. If you and I would be the humble, our families would be blessed among the families of the earth. Our marriages, our relationships, our lives, blessed. Blessed among all. And then verse 37 to 38, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing with God, with God. God is with the humble, but he resists the proud. He resists the proud, but he's with the humble. And with, when God is with you, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant, the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. This is the angel that came and said, you're going to become pregnant supernaturally, miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And Christ the Messiah will be birthed in your womb. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unpopular. And she was humble and she was like, let it be to me. I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. The humble becomes the hero. And we're speaking about Mary today because she is one of the heroes of the story. She was willing to let go of her pride and say, I am yours. So how can we grow in humility? Just quickly. How can we grow in humility? Be thankful. It's very hard to be proud and thankful at the very same moment. Have you been thankful this week for your kids, your spouse, your friends, your family, your being alive, people? There could have been no life, no planet. But here we are. And it doesn't matter what your past looks like. It's like you have the rest of your life to know him. Nothing compares to him. So be thankful this week, this coming week, today. Take a moment over, over lunch, over supper. And just take a moment and, and share what are you thankful for of one another, of your family members, of The gifts of life that you have right now. So that's the question. Who are you going to be? Who will you be in the story of Christmas? Who are you going to be today? Who are you going to be this week? Because I know it's easy to step into villain mode. No. (laughs) Are we going to be the wise? Are we going to seek God until we find him? I want to encourage you to seek him until you find him. Are we going to be the proud that hurt those around us? 
Or will we be the humble, esteeming others higher than ourselves, loving others better, and allowing Jesus to love through us to others? Because I tell you, when we step into being the humble one, humble is powerful. Humble is powerful. Humble, to be humble is to see yourself for who you truly are. To be proud is to be deceived. Think you can do this without him. The humble will receive the ultimate gift. Amen. Imagine if we as a church would be the humble. All of heaven will be drawn to us. Because God says, I can trust them. Imagine you, your home, your family, you, you as a family, you'd be the humble. All of heaven will be drawn to your home. I want that. I want God. That is when things And become beautiful. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.